You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your question and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com. And of course, I will answer as many as I can, or, or you don't have to send it the email route or route, depends where you live, anymore. Now you can send it to our webpage at letstalktorah.net. Let's talk Torah.net. No apostrophes. Um, that's our webpage. We got the archives. We got the new shows. We got the old shows. Um, we got a place for comments. We got a place for questions. And we have that all-important donate button. As you know, at this point, at least we don't have advertising all over the place. So we can just talk Torah, just tell stories, just be inspiring Without any breaks, we don't have to talk about pillows or anything else. But I do need your help, and I do need you to hit that donate button. There's different levels there. Please donate. I can give you. We can give you a shout out. Happy birthday, anniversary, um, in memory of whatever whatever works for you. Um, or you can keep it anonymous, like many people like to do. And in any case, I do, of course, thank you in advance. This week's Torah portion is Kiseitze, packed. Packed, packed with commandments. Every verse, every two verses, you got more and more and more commands, more explanations, more details. We're getting towards the end of the fifth book. Moses has to do a major review, and this Torah portion is one of those major reviews, and we'll talk about a few of the interesting commands. I'm talking about packing up. So um, I still, you know, last week we picked up the children from camp, had their had them pack up their suitcases. Ah, you gotta love children. You know, it, it rains in camp, and kids aren't so good at getting things dry. And they just imagine if they shove all their wet towels and laundry into the bag, everything will come out of the bag smelling clean and fresh, and who knows what. Oh, lots of work doing laundry. And uh, actually, my daughter, um, in the next couple hours, she'll be packed up. But I think she knows not to put wet towels in her laundry bag and in her suitcase, and she'll be heading back from where she was in a bungalow colony, had a very beautiful, wonderful summer as a lifeguard. Um, I don't think she had to save anybody, which is a great thing. Um, But she was there. She enjoyed it. Great experience. Uh, My wife will bring her home uh, because I don't think she likes to fly by herself. And we'll get everybody ready for school. So it's, you know, it's... All those great songs from camp, right? Where you unpack your suitcase and, and all the memories and all the good time. Yes, yeah, summer is just an amazing time. It's just an amazing time, first of all, to recharge our batteries for the year, get ready for the high holidays. But, you know, camp in the summer is great for those, for everybody, really. The truth is good for everybody. Everybody needs a break. But it's especially important, you know, for those children that school is hard. Some children, school is easy. Some children love school. And as we know as parents, right, we can't fool ourselves. Not all children 
are, you know, waiting with bated breath for school to begin. Like they just can't wait to get back, even though I have orientation coming up in probably two weeks. And I always tell them that children in third grade, they love school, but come on, everybody loves vacation. And for some people, school is hard. Education, you know, studying comes hard for some children. We're not all created with the same brain. So camp gives those children a chance to shine when the whole year, the whole what we call, you know, the study part of the year, the important part of the year, the main part of the year, for some children that's torture. And summer is just their break that they don't get in trouble for not doing homework and they, they don't get in trouble for not being able to sit quietly in their seat and they don't get in trouble for not finishing their work and they're not like tied down. They just get to be themselves. So summer is really an amazing, important, beautiful time and like all good things, all good things. My wife says like all good things come to an end. I think she has a, a new phrase that she's been using. All good things um, come to a pause comes to a pause, and then we move forward. So we're going to try to talk about a few commands. One of the interesting commands is uh, talking about converts in this week's Torah portion. And unlike other religions that were started with forced conversion, uh, the Torah not only never believed in forced conversion, but it's uh, anti it's anti-conversion. We do not automatically say yes when somebody walks through the front door of a rabbi's house and say, I want to convert. We say, okay, let's talk. We had somebody on the show a couple of years ago uh, who converted. It's, it could be upwards of a two-year process. You got to study. You got to prove that you can handle it. You got to move into a Jewish neighborhood. You got to practice. It's, it, it's not something that somebody thought it was a good idea and two weeks later... He wants to change his mind because the rules no backsies. We don't, you can't back out of it. It changes all the rules and regulations forever. So it's got to be somebody who's who can handle it. He or she or family doesn't matter. So there are rules and regulations. Anyone could convert. In other words, no matter what country a person is from, no matter how wicked that person may have been or the family may have been, or the relatives may have been, everyone can convert. However, there are some interesting rules, which don't apply nowadays, and we'll see why, but there are certain nations, if they come to convert, we allow them to convert. But they cannot marry another Jewish person who's Jewish from birth. They have to marry another convert, or another person from their nation. Now, before we even get into who these nations are, um, just to explain why this does not apply nowadays, is because um, at the end of the Second Temple, there was an Assyrian king called Sancheriv. And Sancheriv had a brilliant idea, probably got it from Joseph, that if you want to make sure people don't rebel, you have to change their location. In other words, when people live, you know, we have the Ukraine war going on with Russia. So you have countries fighting. And by the way, it's, it's on both sides. You have Russians that were living in Ukraine, Ukrainians that were taken over by Russia. If you let everybody stay home, they're not happy because you invaded my country. 
So eventually I'm going to want to rebel. However, if I conquer your country and then I pick up everybody and I make everybody move 3,000 miles away, you're not really going to rebel. You're not comfortable. This land is not yours anyways. It's not your ancestors' land. So you're going to go go back 3,000 miles to fight. It's not worth it. You're just going to give up. And that was Ancheira's plan. It was a very, very good plan. His plan didn't work out so well because when he eventually went and surrounded Jerusalem, so God wiped out his army. Okay, that's a story for a different day. So even, even if... Um, we had this rule, we do have the rule, that certain nations, if they convert, cannot marry into people who were born Jewish, but we say that all those nations have been moved around. So we don't know who they are anymore. So if we don't know who they are, we're just going to go according to the majority. And the majority is not from those nations, and therefore anybody who converts can marry anybody they want. Okay, that's the... Just a bit now, let's get into the nitty-gritty. Who are we talking about? We're talking about these two nations called Ammon and Moab. Ammon and Moab come, the Moabites, right? but again, the, even where they would live, the, their land was probably in the area of Jordan. But again, we have no reason to believe that those original Ammon and Moab people are in that land anymore. Perhaps they are, perhaps they're not, but again... It's irrelevant to the law. We say they're not there anymore. They're actually our cousins. How? Because Abraham, Avram, had a nephew. The nephew's name was Lot. And Lot hung out with Abraham, and they went down to Egypt, and then they came back, and they came back very wealthy, and Lot moved to those five cities, to Sodom and Amorah, and eventually Sodom and Amorah are overturned and destroyed, and Lot escapes to the mountains with his two daughters. And his two daughters did not know that there was a world. They, they saw the destruction. They figured the whole world was destroyed. So they figured, hello, if the world's destroyed, you want to keep the world going, uh, we're going to have to have children from our father. And they each became pregnant. They got their father drunk. And they had these two, these two nations, Amon and Mov, and then I guess eventually they figured out that they made a little bit of a mistake and the world was not destroyed, and their two sons went on to create nations. Now, Lot did not deserve on his own, even though he thought he did, but Lot did not deserve on his own to be saved since he chose to live in Sodom, and it was such a horrible, rotten city, so bad that God had to go ahead and destroy the cities and just overturn them, basically a nuclear holocaust in those cities, Lot on his own did not deserve to be saved. Except Uncle Abe, good old Avraham, in the merit of Avraham, and it seems it was pretty clear, the verse makes it clear, that Lot was saved because of Avraham. So, and Lot knew this. So if Lot is saved in the merit of Avraham, well, then he better tell his children, guys, the only reason you're here today is because of your uncle Abraham. So you make sure that if he ever needs anything or his kids ever need anything, you take care of them. Because if not for him, you wouldn't be here. That's what a person who has gratitude understands. I'm only alive because of this person. 
children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. It becomes part of the family story that we always have gratitude to this family. And Lot clearly did not do this. How do we know? Because when the Jewish people are traveling in the desert on their way to the land of Israel, they've been in the desert for 40 years, and they're passing by Ammon and Moab, so they did two things wrong. Number one, the verse says they did not come out to offer bread and water. We're in the neighborhood. You have no kindness. You can't go ahead and share some food. It's true we have our own food supply. It's true. But you could still offer something. That's what somebody who has gratitude will do. You know, I had a a meeting um, earlier this week with a homeowners association. Um, I'm looking for their help in a piece of property in their neighborhood that my school is trying to buy. I brought a seven-layer cake. Yes, it's always nice to bring food, but I'm asking you for a favor. The least I could do is bring some danishes. The least I could do is is show that I appreciate. And anyways, in meetings, people like food. Only one person that took a piece of cake while I was there, but I can assure you as soon as I left, oh, that cake was demolished. I mean, there's no way. It's just, it was fresh, and there's nothing like Zeman's seven-layer cake. Ever in Detroit, you make sure you get some Zeman's layer cake. In any case, in any case, Amun and Moab did not offer us bread and water. Also, they hired the famous Bilam to curse the Jewish people. So, obviously, in their genes, in their genetics, is something that's not a good match that they should marry into the Jewish people. Now, furthermore, by the way, um, because this verse is here, um, that says the Ammon and Moab cannot join into the family of the Jewish people. So when the temple was destroyed, these nations, Ammon and Moab, came into the temple. They wanted to get the Torah, and they wanted to erase. They wanted to erase those words um, from the Torah. Which, again, sort of tells us who these people were, because the Talmud tells us if the nations of the world would have recognized everything the temple does for them on the holidays, actually the holidays coming up, the Sukkot holidays, there are actually special sacrifices that the Jewish people would bring for the nations of the world to benefit. So if the nations of the world would have realized that because of those sacrifices, they are benefiting, they are surviving, they are getting fields full of plenty, if they would have realized that, actually the Talmud says that they would have shown up at Jewish farms before the holidays and said, uh, Beryl, what are you doing here? Oh, i got to take care of my farm. I can't leave. You leave. You go to your temple. You pray to God. You make sure those sacrifices are brought so that my country benefits. I'll stay behind and watch your field. That's how far it would have gone if the nations of the world would have realized the benefit that they received from the temple uh, forget about destroying it. There would have been guards and international armies, and they would have made sure that the Jewish people had no excuse, would have made their way up to the temple. Instead, this Ammon and Moab were, you know, I don't want to say leading the charge, it wasn't their army. But once the temple's destroyed, they are running in there and they're wrecking havoc and looking for Torah scrolls that they can erase words that trouble them.
Um, this whole idea of the, 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 the nations of the world need to recognize the good that was being done for them by the temple happens to be hinted in these verses of uh, that Amonimov can't join. Again, they can convert, but they just can't marry into Jewish families. And of course, as I keep telling you, that this is uh, the book that I'm into, this Kedusha Levi from Levi Yitzvah Bedichev. So he says, this is really all hinted in the verse. What does the verse say? So again, we're going to give you a literal translation, and then we're going to give you this new facet that Levi Yitzvah talks about. And that is, the verse says, Literally, that they didn't kidmu, they didn't come out to you, they didn't come out first, they didn't come out before you with bread and water. But really, you can read the verse a little bit different. You just, I got a text last week. Um, usually there's a group of us to get together on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. So he sent out a text, and the text was supposed to say, no getting together tonight. And he said, no shear tonight. Except he put a comma there. The comma was afterward, no. No, comma. We're getting together tonight. Right? And then he has to send out a second text. Ignore the comma. Right? So in the Torah, if you've ever seen the Torah scroll, you'll know there's no grammar. There's no commas. There's no sentences. There are paragraphs. Um, but there are no sentences. So you don't know where to begin or where to end, which allows us to look at hints in the Torah by, not me and you, but uh, great people can look at a verse and put a comma in and say, if you read it this way, you get a beautiful message. And the message is that Asher loy kidmu, they didn't put you first. In other words... As I told you, right? The Jewish people are God's firstborn. God's blessing flows through the Jewish people, through the temple, which we don't have nowadays, right? So Ammon and Moab missed the boat, and they thought that why should they help? And that why should they help led to this command because they didn't recognize that everything they have was coming through the Jewish people. Okay, that's one command I want to talk about today. Now, with our few minutes left, I want to talk about a second command. And that is the command of returning a collateral. Uh, there's two types of collateral. Um, I'm only discussing one. There's a collateral you give when you actually take the loan, and there's a collateral that you give when you didn't pay the loan, so the, the person who lent money, like the bank, can come and take a collateral till you pay. Now, there happens to be an interesting law. The law goes like this. Let's say I borrowed money from you, and I'm a poor man, and I can't pay. A month comes up. Most, most loans were due after 30 days. I can't afford to pay you, so you come to take collateral. I have a blanket. You can take my blanket. So the Torah says... You could take that blanket, but since it's the only blanket that Jacobson owns, you got to return it to him every night. Now, you could say this, uh, like, what a wasted collateral. In other words, he gets it when he needs it at night, 
Okay, I get it by day when he doesn't need it. Like, what's the point? But the verse actually says, Ulecha tiyat tzedakah. To you, there will be charity. So the Talmud explains. What does it mean to you there's going to be charity? Charity means that when you take that collateral from me, you actually own it. So every time you give back that collateral, every time you give that collateral, it's as if you are giving me a gift because it's really yours. That's the rule of collateral. It's really yours. Yes, I give you money, I get it back. But here the Torah is telling me that it will be charity, return it, because you really own it now, and by giving it back, there's a real charity. Now, interesting enough, the verse says, you know, when you give it back, the poor person will bless you, and to you it will be charity before God. That's how we learn the simple explanation of the verse. Yitzchak explains that that's really not the way you're supposed to read the verse. He says, in general, any nice person, any nice person, any normal um, person who understands gratitude, you give me back the blanket, of course I'm going to bless you. Oh, thank you so much. So appreciate it. It was so cold. didn't know what I was going to do tonight. So, so I appreciate that you give it back to me at night. And don't worry, first thing tomorrow morning, I'll give it back to you and I'm going to work on getting the money for you. That's normal. But what if the poor, poor person is not so normal? What if he doesn't bless you? Do you have a right to say, you rotten scoundrel what you are? I didn't have to give this back to you. I gave it back to you, and you can't even give me a blessing. You can't even say thank you. Like, what kind of person are you? So Levi Yitzhak says that when you're returning this collateral, of course a normal person should bless you, but you are not returning it because you're expecting a blessing. You are returning it because God said, you're doing charity. Return it. Not that you're getting anything for it. And that, by the way, is true with all charity. Yes, of course, when a person gives charity, he feels good, and he feels he's accomplishing, but really, and maybe he's getting his name on a building, or her, but your attitude really, the goal when I give charity, and I have relatives that I've seen do this, the attitude has to be, God gave me the money. He wants me to give it to you. It's not my money. It's God's money. I don't deserve a thank you. You don't owe me anything. I, I, I'm just a custodian. I'm just watching the money for God. He wants me to give it to you. That is an amazing attitude. Um, so with a little bit of time left, I want to tell you a story. It's a little humorous. Um, a man's called by his mother, and his mother tells the son, um, son, could you do me a favor? Um, I need some vanilla sugar. It's very important that I'm in the middle of making a cake. Could you please bring over some vanilla sugar? Yeah, ma, I'll try to be there as soon as I can. No, no, I, I really need it right away, right? Like, the son has a business, but mother calls, so the son uh, says, okay, I'll be there. But he got busy on the phone. By the time he runs over to his mother's house, 45 minutes later, um, the mother is quite unhappy. So she, of course, thanks her son when he gives her the vanilla sugar and says, you know, um, we got to talk about this. You just sit right here in the chair. I'm not done with you yet. Okay, what's the son supposed to do? Mother says, mother says. Anyways, he's listening to his mother on the phone. The mother gets a phone call 
And the mother was working on a shidduch. She had set up a boy and a girl to go out to see if they uh, were compatible. And the boy says to the um, to the um, the boy says to the, to this guy's mother, "It's not going to work. Um, I'm a I'm a skinny little guy. This girl that you set me up with, she's big. She's broad." It's just, it doesn't, it's not going to work. Okay. So the mother talks and, and the son is listening to this conversation. He actually figured out who the two people were. He wasn't going to ask his mother about it. Um, so mother gets off the phone, talks to her son for a few minutes and says, please, next time I ask her for vanilla sugar, I need it right away. Anyways, the man goes, has a business meeting. And those were the days where you sat down face to face with people and he goes into the guy's office, and he's called in. The guy gets a phone call, and it's his nephew on the phone. And his nephew is uh, telling his uncle, I tried to go with a girl. It's not working. I tried to go out, and I'm not meeting anybody that's, that's for me, and I don't know what to do. And uh, the uncle was a little, uh, a little, um, I don't want to say taken aback is the wrong word. But he was a little troubled that this nephew keeps calling him and he can't help him. So he turns to the man and he says, you got to help my nephew. He needs a girl. And my nephew's a big guy. So it's got to be a good match. So the guy says, look at that. I was 45 minutes late to go visit my mother. Because I was 45 minutes late... I heard her talking on the phone about a boy and a girl who I happened to know who weren't a good match. Because I was late, now I'm late to this guy's office. Because I'm late to this guy's office, I hear the phone call about his nephew. He asks me for help. He asks me for help to find a girl for his nephew who's a big guy. And this girl's a broader girl. I tell the uncle, I got just the girl for your nephew. And wouldn't you know they lived happily ever after. So um, a little bit of a humorous story, but a, but, but a story that tells us, right? Pay attention to what's going on around you. Everything God's doing, he's doing for a reason. Everywhere he puts you, now you may not always recognize the reason, and the reason may not be obvious the second that something takes place. But if you're willing to sit back and pay attention to all the things that happen to your life, you'll see God is sending you a lot of messages. And he expects you to pay attention to those messages. And he expects you to pay attention to the setup that you're in. So I see I have a few more seconds. So while we're talking about paying attention, um, it is interesting in this week's Torah portion, there are actually two mitzvos that have to do with paying attention. They are mitzvahs that have to do with remembering. That's all you got to do. Just remember. Pay attention. One of them is God says, remember what I did to Miriam. Uh, that's when she got leprosy. She got saras because she spoke lush and horror. She slandered Moses. We talked about this a lot in the past. That she went ahead 
And uh, when she heard that Moses separated from his wife, so she tells her brother Aaron, who does Moses think he is? He thinks he's so holy that he could separate from his wives. We're also holy. God talks to us just as well. And God calls him out and says, uh, who do you think you're talking about? about Moses, the most humble person. And uh, sometimes a person can have different rules and regulations. Of course, I expect people to be married. Uh, and you and Aaron could be married, but Moses can't. So that's one. Just remember. Very, very simple command. Just remember. And a second very simple command of just remember is, in this week's Torah portion, the end of the Torah portion, is remember what happened when Amalek. The Jewish people are traveling, um, minding their own business. We've left Egypt. We've gone through the Red Sea. We're on our way to getting the Torah. And this nation, Amalek, tried to cool us off. And that also is a mystery, just remember. But we can't get into it because the music is playing. And I hope you enjoyed it, short and sweet. Thank you, of course, all window sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you for the production team. I have Alan in the back. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Toro on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house we can build